Welcome to the Lawyer Life Podcast, where the personal, professional, and political intersect. Each week, we cover a topic to help ourselves and other lawyers navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. On today's episode, it's the inaugural LLP at the Movies. We've watched Won't You Be Our Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers documentary, and we have a lot to say. I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Hello, won't you be my neighbor, Darlene? (laughs) Good morning. Yes, won't you be my neighbor? You said, won't you be our neighbor, which is more apropos, really, for the podcast, since you and I are going to talk about about Mr. Rogers. That's true. Mike and Darlene's neighbor. Join us. We are not neighbors. (laughs) Although I'm trying to tempt you to become a neighbor. (laughs) It's true. It's very true. Anyway, how are you on this fine Friday morning, almost spring? I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Good. I've had a I've had a huge lawyerly morning so far. Me I've too. had a it's nine let's see, nine fifty-five and yeah. I was up at six notarizing a document for a neighbor who's taking their kids across the border. Oh. <laughs> um yeah. that yeah. was fun. It's mm-hmm. a very lawyerly morning. I've never felt so lawyerly than sort of rolling out of bed and pulling out my notary stamp. That stamp has such power. <laughs> oh, I love the stamp with my name on it. <laughs> Everybody loves it when they see it. This makes us so important. Only we can have this stamp. What a, what an interesting thing. It really is. <laughs> it is a really funny thing. I feel so strange yeah. doing it. It's a little bit of a, a throwback to another time, right? You know, do you swear? It's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, that happened. And then uh, it's been a bit of a rush. And I've got family coming in uh, this week to hang out and take a little bit of a break. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. But I want to talk about Mr. Rogers first, obviously. Yeah, so we watched this documentary film, film, uh, with the goal of trying to, as we normally do, take a, like we do with books or other things, take this thing and see what we can learn from it. Uh, And it turns out there's a lot there. But before we start to delve into what we learned, you and I both have similar feelings generally, especially as like being kids, seeing the Mr. Rogers television show that we wanted to talk about. Yes, I will say. So I think to give the proper context for why Won't You Be My Neighbor um, has ended up as a LLP topic. Um, really, I watched it thinking, as as listeners know, I've, I've taken a, a little bit of a time off break this month where I've actually just watched things for fun. So I thought, so I watched this documentary and I was just struck during the watching of this documentary that there's so many, there's a lot of um, overlap with some of the themes that we talk about with, with respect to lawyers and living an authentic life and all that stuff. So I uh, arm twisted you to watch it. Is that fair? No, I wanted, I always plan to watch it. Oh, you plan um, to watch it. Okay. I upped your timeline on the Mr. Rogers documentary Yeah, um, and suggested it as a topic, but I will say I did not, I kept seeing this. Everyone has been talking about this, this has been quite a, a critically, acclaimed documentary it's apparently the top grossing biographical documentary of all time what i don't i think just people are interested in mr rogers i think people watched it thinking because i did i kind of was like maybe there's some story about mr rogers i think that it's an inherently interesting um proposition just to hear about what his what was going Mm. on with him he's an interesting guy i and so the context that you're referencing though is that i did not like the show as a kid like really actively did not enjoy the show. However, it was a time of linear television and you had to watch whatever was on 
back in the day. Yeah. I don't know that Mr. Rogers would be successful um, oh, in today's world. Out there. Paw Patrol versus Mr. Rogers. I know who's winning. On demand would, I think, be a challenge for Mr. Rogers. But anyway. Although I it, the, the thing made me one, wish that I could access his show on demand for my daughter because there's good stuff there. And Totally. I th- so let's get into it. The first... The first thing you mentioned, like, because he's a fascinating dude. A lot of people are fascinated by, by Mr. Rogers. And I think that's the, like the, one of the great things to take generally from what he did, the documentary, uh, is that he was like a unique kind of singular person. His focus was so clear on what he wanted to do. And that informed not only his profession, but seemingly his whole life. Uh, he just was dedicated to helping children get through the beginnings of their life in a successful way um, and and seemed to never really veer from that path. That seemed to be his core, really, for a very long time. Well, and what I, what I thought was so interesting and maybe um, connected to our, our lawyerly ways um, was that he saw TV. So TV was new at the time that Mr. Rogers decided to get into that medium. He had previously been planning to go into the ministry. So he's, he is an ordained Presbyterian minister, which I did not know. Um, but he saw a television program. He looked at a TV, the 1960s, and he saw mm-hmm. it as a medium for his message, basically. And what I think is so interesting about the why of that is that he says in the documentary that, and we should, since this is our first film review, we should say there are a couple spoilers in here, (laughs) but it's, uh, you know, there's a, we're going to talk about points of the documentary, but I think on balance, even after listening to this, it would still be worth watching. Um, But, you know, one of the things that he says at the beginning is he thought TV was going to be kind of an evil you know, he saw it having the potential to really speed things up for kids and really feed them advertising and, and stuff like that. And instead of just becoming like a crusader against TV, he chose to become sort of one of the most long, I mean, you know this at the time, but he became a television personality mm-hmm. to do it properly. And that I thought was so, it, that spoke to me because I, I thought, you know, one of the things that I've always uh, been interested in doing is um, working with the traditional law firm model and trying to make it one that I think is uh, more accommodating of of lifestyles and um, interesting people and uh, careers and I don't know. Anyway, so I've always wanted to mess with the model um, out of almost like a, a hope for what could be as opposed to a desire to criticize what is. And th- I think that really, I connected with that right off the bat. And then you know. Oh, you're the Mr. Rogers for the legal model. Oh, my God. If you had said that to me before the documentary, I'd be like, what? <laughs> Never say that again. So <laughs> but good. now I'm like, that's kind of cool. I don't know. I That to me just was like a, an, un, an unexpected thing because I don't know that people do that very often. You see something you don't like, you don't plunge right into it, you know? And that paid dividends for him too. I think that his focus on what it could be, the aspirational focus, really led to success for him personally, but also in his mission to change television. You know, there is that Mm -hmm. moment in a documentary. So for context, it was uh, a Congress um, committee hearing um, where they're considering uh, reducing, basically striking the public television budget, $20 million, just getting rid of it, being one of the public television. uh, And 
Mr. Rogers appeared at the hearing. Uh, and after a long day of people just reading, you know, their statements, the gentleman presiding was obviously just, and seemed to be a bit of a character was just basically like, this is all nothing. I don't want to hear anybody read statements anymore. I'm not convinced the 20, you know, basically we're cutting this budget. And what Mr. Rogers did was saying, uh, say, you know, dictate some lyrics from a song that he performs on his show, um, which was so striking to uh, the the committee chair that he said, okay, I think you just saved the $20 million. He was convinced on the spot because Mr. Rogers didn't focus on what TV is and blah, 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 but he showed what the power can be uh, and therefore really helped save public television in a significant way. Uh, and that shows that clarity of purpose, you know, uh, can really uh, pay great dividends, I think. Well, and truth. I think when I saw that scene, mm-hmm. I also thought, um, if you said, imagine, imagine laying out that strategy, I'm going to go in there to the Senate committee hearing, and I'm going to sing a song from my television show. <laughs> um, you know, there would be so many people around you saying, oh, you know, stick to the script. Um, you know, he's going to want to hear numbers. He's going to want to hear business. He's going to want to hear valuation, blah, blah, blah. And I think what was so powerful about that, and I, a lesson too, that is uh, useful for us is just that, you know, when you speak the truth, it has more power than almost anything else. You know, if Mr. Rogers, being who he is, had stood up there and read a bunch of, you know, stats, it wouldn't have worked. You mm-hmm. know, he presented the way he can present and he really charmed the guy. I mean, the guy, he didn't even ask any questions. He just said, you can have $22 million. And that shouldn't work. Like the things that Mr. Rogers does should not work. He shouldn't be on TV for 40 years. He shouldn't be able to earn 20 million from a 30 second statement. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just so, I almost think it's because it's so unusual, right? The way that he approaches things. That is, and that's kind of the core, I think, of the interest about him and, and his effect is that he was at his core unusual and looked at, you know, in his space, you know, he worked in children's television, uh, and but he saw it in a profoundly different way than the rest of the market did, right? Everybody else mm-hmm. is like flashy, 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 quick, 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 simple storylines. And he's just like, let's sit in silence and let's do a week on death, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah, or oh the assassination gosh. of Robert Kennedy. I mean, like these are big oh, topics, yeah. but kids do yeah. ask about that stuff. And I think that's the other thing is when he was giving his presentation, you could see this is not a guy who's here to make money. This is not a guy here to mm. be a star. This is a mm. guy here who loves children and wants them to succeed. And he he believes he can help them, you know? And it was so, it was really compelling to see him off camera with that view right? Because the television personality is uh, sort of one side of it, but he really was totally consistent from off screen to on screen, according to the documentary. And I think part of that consistency is that he just prioritized seemingly, like as corny as it sounds, he prioritized love and love of people over everything. Like everything was, you know, that's how he ministered. Like he, he talks about ministry of the job. And I think it's an interesting phrase. And obviously he was a minister, but it, it's a fascinating thing to consider of like, yes, you do your job, but what is, what is the thing in that's at its core that you're trying to do while you go about your daily business, right? What's bigger mm-hmm. than just delivering the work product for him, you know, delivering a show at the end of the day. And that's gr- like, I've worked in 
in television where we made four shows a week. That is a grind. And it's it's not easy, especially when he's doing 10 characters voices and doing like composing the music. Like what a like talented guy. But, you know, that in itself can be all consuming. He had, uh, you know, a, a purpose sitting above that of just getting the job done, which was love and, and helping young people feel loved. And how could you not, if you if you are so you know, rooted in that higher purpose, how could you not feel good a lot of the time and be consistent? Because that's, that wins the day, I think. And that's, you know, a, a wonderful place to be uh, for most of your time thinking about that instead of thinking about, oh God, I have to make another show today. And, you know, that's well, can you imagine if he was like a vacuum salesperson or some other like career, uh, even yeah. a minister, even dealing with adults most of his day, I think would have yeah. been quite stifling for him. Right. And um, I, I was thinking, what is that? What is what is that thing that he's doing? And actually, I think it's something we've spoken about on previous episodes, but the term consonance, do you remember this term? No. Aligning who you are with what you do. Consonance. <laughs> okay. Which I think is really what he was, you know, like he, it never probably even occurred to him really to do something else once he saw this path kind of open its, itself up to him. And I think that's what, like, my belief always is, if you are very aligned as, like, in your person with the job that you do in the day, you're going to be better at it. You're going to be awesome at it. You're going to be able to do yeah. things that people would always say is not possible. You know, like, if if you said, again, back to this kind of, uh, I always sort of picture this board of unsupported people, unsupportive people sometimes <laughs> when I'm about to do something uh I mix in there my uh, my red team and my green team also throw back to another episode. Um, but, you know, sometimes when you're imagining how people are going to respond to something that you're going to do, it does sound kind of crazy sometimes, depending what your idea is. And in his case, I'm going to have this thing where I like put on a sweater and take off a sweater and open a closet and sing the same song. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be a, a cornerstone of my show. I mean, no one would say that's a good idea. No one. Um, but yet it works. And I sort of watching that, I was like, well, you know what? This works one because it's who he is. He really wants a different sweater. He wants different shoes when he walks yeah. in the house. I never got that. I never wore shoes in the house as a kid. I was always like, why does he wear shoes in the house? Like, putting more shoes on. There were so many questions about that 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 raised. <laughs> um, but I always, I, I thought about it differently as an adult watching it because I lived mm -hmm. in a very stable home. You know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't need an adult demonstrating consistency and security and predictability and amazing. Mm -hmm. And it, like, again, so him and no one else could really even do that. I don't think. And speaking of things that no one else could do, there's a, um, a moment uh, that's featured. He has this tiger, Daniel, that he is one of the puppets that uh, everybody says is basically Mr. Rogers in a puppet form. And, you know, um, and sings a song about feeling like he's a fake or or that he's a mistake. And that, you know, uh, it, one of the deepest songs I think I've ever heard. And it comes totally. from a puppet, tiger puppet. No one else could do that. And, and I think this is so applicable for what we're trying to, one of the things we're trying to get at with this podcast. So, you know, mistakes happen and so on. Uh, and it's more about you just being you and being authentic. And, and he says a line, which I think is so great. Um, and that is, you don't have to do anything sensational for people to love you. Mm -hmm. And for type A high achieving uh, folks, which generally funnel into this profession, 
I think that's such a profound statement because uh, what is like likely comes from that type of person is a history of doing very well in school and winning awards and you know getting promotions and and that obviously a lot of attention in life goes to those achievements and some of them are sensational um, but in in the end good old Mr. Rogers was looking through the camera at five-year-old saying you're good just you you don't have to do anything sensational for folks to love you uh, and I, that's one of the things I thought was so unique to what the message he was trying to deliver and one of the thing, large things I took away from watching the documentary. Well, and on that point, I was picturing like had he gone into like being just a regular minister, which is yeah. as you say is is a pretty sensational achievement, probably the the apex of careers at that time in in that um area that he lived in. Um and he had he done that, he would have had the maybe more public support at the beginning, you know, he would have had the A's on his report card that we always talk about. He mm-hmm. would have had the pats on the back and the sort of, you know, vaunted reputation and stuff like that. But I don't think he would have been as happy um, because he wouldn't have been spending all of his time on, for example, creativity for children. And it would have just been a small portion of his job, which would have, you know, maybe would have sustained him, but he knocked it out of the park by doing that a hundred percent of his time. Right. Um, and I thought of that another a non Mr. Rogers example, but one that has always kind of stuck out to me. There's a, a another biography of um, Kurt Cobain, lead singer of Nirvana. Um, you know, oftentimes when I think of Mr. Rogers, I immediately think of Kurt Cobain. This is how my brain I, works. I get them mixed up a lot of the time. Which one hosted <laughs> a famous TV show for decades and which one was the charismatic and uh, unfortunately, uh, early death lead singer of Nirvana. I don't know. Well, I think they're opposites in one way, which is they're similar in the way that they both achieved some, I think Mr. Rogers is probably globally famous. Um, Kurt Cobain, certainly, uh, probably at minimum, let's talk North America for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is that in this heavier than heaven book, which is excellent, one line really stuck out for me because I mean, Kurt Cobain, you know, died by suicide at age 27 uh, at the height of his fame. Right. And I think most people think like, why, why? I mean, taking addiction out of it, which is a a sort of a one big piece of that. um, There's a line in that book that says that never Kurt was never happier than when he was a kid's soccer coach um, with Mm. like the YMCA or the Kiwanis club in Washington. And I've always thought of that because I just thought, you know, not that's not something that there are a lot of points for. That's not something that society mobilizes the entire mechanism of advertising and PR to tell you is like a job that you should be wanting to do. Whereas, you know, you grow up and you're like, I played three chords on my guitar. I got to be a rock star. And if I am, I will get the untold, you know, treasures of the universe. And, you know, the fact is what stuck with that for me is that, yeah, he, he did become the most famous rock star in the world, but he wasn't really that happy doing that. And he had been messaged so hard for his whole life that he would be happy when he started doing that, mm-hmm. that once he did, and he was like, well, I'm not happy, must be me. You know, that's where I think it's really problematic that we we push people in that direction. I think in, in law and maybe other professions, um, these professions where we're kind of you know, if you are a lawyer for your parents, you've kind of arrived, right? Um, and in society, you know, there's a lot of lawyers have a lot of trust from society and, and people think it's a great gig to have. And it, I think it is 
done properly and done in a way that's consonant. Um, but there's also this thing that if it wasn't your thing, it might not make you happy. And I think we struggle with that as a profession because a lot of people who are in law were just really smart arts grads. So yeah. there probably are some people who made puppets in their undergrad degree and really loved that and ended up in law school and now are doing you know insurance litigation or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's, yes, no real other similarities between Kurt Cobain and Mr. Rogers, but I'm, I'm always fascinated with people who are at the top of their game and the ones that are happy there and the ones that wear it heavily, you know, mm-hmm. you gotta kind of look at both, I think, because you can't just look at a famous person and be like, Oh, they're on easy street. Cause they're famous. Like that's not true. Anyway, I digress. The, Back to the movie and the puppet. No, but I, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> and, and he generally did seem to be a happy person. The, the, the film also, and I think it's important, shows that toward the end of it all, he got a bit angry. Mm. When he was seeing that you know, TV was getting worse, the effect on children was getting worse. And he also at a point, um, as I think a lot of people might have at this point in time felt defeated and like none of what he did mattered when 9-11 occurred um Mm -hmm. and so uh you know even for somebody who were just like lauding for for doing so well at finding his purpose finding a way to channel the purpose through this interesting you know medium uh always you know seemingly practicing what he preaches it doesn't mean that it's always going to be wonderful and there will be frustrations and there will be times where you question yourself and he wrote a memo to himself about you know can i really do this you see those um you know tougher moments as well which i think is important to note and and you know as we chat about um you know these things occur even to the highest performing and happiest folks as well well and because what he's doing is pretty important and he's tackling a pretty huge problem Right. Like it's not, uh, I did have the sense and I won't go into it maybe on the podcast just in case people want to watch till the end. But yes, there is, uh, there is definitely sadness when, um, terrible things happen because his, he views his job as to explain tough stuff to kids, right. Mm -hmm. In part. Um, and so the tougher those things were September 11th being obviously a big one that must've really weighed heavily on him. So I do think that there is this, this sort of, um, sometimes a feeling in the in the world of pursuing happiness in your own life that sometimes it's like, oh, that means there's no hard stuff or that means that you should shun all negativity and stuff. I don't really agree with that. I, I just think it's like you should let the negativity, like use your powers on the negativity that matters kind of. Like there's always going to be negativity. Try not to, in my world, I, I just try to have it not come in from sources that I don't need. You know, I don't need to watch violent television or whatever, like, eh. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do need to use the things that I'm learning to help other people who are not in good spots. Um, you don't want to turn away from that because you're trying to maintain pristine positivity and happiness, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I think that that's, I'm glad that you had a similar response to the documentaries. Thought there was some fodder there for people who are trying to consider how to, live in a more fulfilling and happy place what can we learn from from mr rogers do you have your one of your patented mike anderson summaries i I have my own takeaways which i'm sure other people have different takeaways uh but what so i would say there's three things the first thing is i really admired his like higher purpose that always sat above the work he did 
And I think that's an mm. interesting thing for all of us to consider is what is that? What is that for us? Because that can sustain, inform, and, and you know, provide um, some advantages at some point in time. So having that overriding purpose, I think, uh, is imperative. Um, the second thing is that he did happen because of that overriding purpose, I think, to find, as somebody says in the movie, I think the quote is, he's doing the, th- the one thing in the world that he wishes to do, and he's by any definition a happy man. And I, I think that if, mm-hmm. if we all focus, so we have our high purpose, we try to channel it into the thing that we think we're meant to do, like the day-to-day thing, um, a great way to achieve uh, happiness. And I think finally, people are draw to, drawn to him because he didn't fit into a mold uh, and he is very unique. You don't build a kid's television presenter that way, but right. it still works. And I think that it's a great takeaway to remember that there's a lot of ways to get a job done. And there's uh, you know strengths in people that we don't necessarily see uh, instantly. And that, you know, having diverse people do... Um, a job is important. Um, and so that would be the last thing for me is that a lot of people remember him because there was nobody else like him. And mm-hmm. so that means that you can be somebody who on on its face doesn't seem to fit in a certain place. Uh, but that doesn't mean you won't succeed. In that, and it might mean that you have a better chance to be a really notable person uh, in that space. Well, and it was so, one of the things about him is that he chose to be on PBS, so public television. Um, And that allowed him to do Mm. some pretty bold things um, and to not have to um, be sort of constrained by um, the profit issue or advertisers, right? Like there's a, there's some pretty poignant stuff that he does to support um, uh, or to oppose racial segregation in the 60s and 70s really powerful images. And he was able to do those in part because that was genuine to him. But also, all of these things are such a just, he made so many choices along the way that were like the right choices for him that all added up to his impact. You know, like Mm -hmm. if he had chosen to be a doing a kid's show, but still prioritizing profit, he might not have been able to do some of that stuff. It might not have been as, um, as possible as a, as a, um, public station. So anyway, I think overall great impact and coming from a place of trying to do what he was, you know, put on the planet to do probably. Uh, Agreed. (laughs) Okay. So we are going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our goods and grapes. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Inter Alia Law, experienced legal counsel when and where you need us. To learn more about Inter Alia, visit the website at spelled I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. Thank you. And we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support. Gripes are things that annoy us. Darlene. Well, I have a good. So our team of lawyers is growing. So we've just added a new lawyer 
uh, Dunya. Welcome, Dunya. If you're listening, yay! Welcome, Dunya. So now we are, uh, I guess, six. Um, and I put, I, I was sitting there ready to do the announcement. So Dunya has been, she's coming back into practice after staying home with her young kids. Um, and I know that the usual thing to do is to sort of gloss over, try to explain breaks in resumes. Um, and that may be, I don't know, that's not really something I'm that concerned about. But when I posted on LinkedIn, I actually put in the post that she was coming back from, um, four years at home with her kids and that this she's been developing skills that we highly value here at Interalia. Um, and I say to you that I had a brief moment of like, not panic, but just kind of, is this wise? You know, I talked about it with her. We decided that that was a, a message we both were comfortable putting out there. Um, and I, I just said, I'm like, you know, the speaker of the house in the United States was a stay at home mom for most of her life. She's the most powerful woman in the United States, and her skills were honed <laughs> at home with her four kids. Um, so I really, th- I value it. I value it highly. So why not talk about it in the posting? So we did. And my good is that I got a whole bunch of extremely positive feedback, and I felt like it was something that, um, you know, needed to be done, mm-hmm. kind of. And then I kind of realized afterwards it was like. I don't, you don't see that very often um, as a career positive, and it really should be because, um, you know, taking time to prioritize family is not a career liability or a personal liability or any kind of liability. So uh, that was cool. And I think that was sort of a, a wake up call for me to just be more, even more than I am already. Just if I think it, say it. And you never know what the, you know, don't assume that the answer is going to be negative. Maybe we've all just thought it would be negative and instead it's super positive. So that was a, a major highlight and led to all kinds of really interesting conversations this week that I was not expecting to have. So um, awesome. That's, that is an awesome, that's more than a good. That's an awesome. A, that's an awesome. Yeah, that was Great. awesome on so many levels. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that occurred. I agree. Um, my good is I've been asked to be a best man. Oh, that's cool. My best friend, Brad. I told him I would mention him in the podcast. He's getting married this summer, and I'm being his best man, and that's a wonderful privilege. So that has been a highlight for me this week. Very good. Um, wow, did he choose you because of your skills as a podcaster? No. Oh, he, okay. Just no, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Brad and Jane. Brad and Jane. Congratulations, Brad and Jane. Cool. My gripe is that uh, this is a this is like a pretty spot on gripe, I think. My cell phone has a headphone jack, so I, I don't have an iPhone. I have an oh iPhone. Okay, get ready. <laughs> the headphone jack, I have realized, slowly over time has been filling with pocket lint. And oh my God. that is causing my headphones to malfunction. I removed a lot of the pocket lint, but I think someone's still in there or I damaged the thing when I was removing the pocket lint. So now I can only use my Bluetooth headset. Uh, and that is my Oh my God. That's your all time most mundane gripe, but I appreciate no that. idea how annoying <laughs> it is. <laughs> Oh, it's like the audio goes between my ears as I'm like walking the dog and stuff. Oh my goodness. Gripe City. Welcome to the Gripe Nation, everybody. That is 
wow. the top grape. Yeah. We've gone from no grapes to grape nation. That's this has grape been a, a fast descent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a grape and oh. it's actually not that grapey, but it's uh something I thought was worth mentioning on the podcast because you know, maybe listeners are trying to figure out how to put more balance into their life, uh, be there more for their kids, stuff like that. Um, I We talk a lot about the fact that I try to prioritize that um, in a as significant a way as I can, yeah. given demands on time. And I, my son and I had this great conversation yesterday where I was explaining to him that one of his superpowers is that he is, you know, says really nice things and people really like to hear what he has to say. And he pondered for a while. He was quiet. And he's, I said, so do you think mom has any superpowers? And I was kind of hoping I would say I had some expectation around what his answer might be, which I will share in a second. His answer was, um, after thinking for a like protracted amount of time, <laughs> I want to be clear, this took a really long time. He's like, um, like how about really good working? <laughs> and I was like, oh, whoa. And I thought, you know, if I was a mom who wasn't there for my kids as yeah. many hours of the day as I am, that would be such a crushing answer. Right. But I raise it on the podcast to say, you know, in his mind, like you have to, I, what I realized in that moment was his standard is I should be here 100% of the time. You know, <laughs> I should be playing with him 100% of the time. <laughs> and any deviation from that is like notable to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, always just striving for improvements there. His second one was a bit better about being a nice mom or something. But, you know, the fact that that working thing came up first uh, and required so much thought was very negative from my perspective. I'd say that's a positive. I mean, they reading about, you know, who how parents can make a well-functioning, like, um, kid is, is a lot of it is that they see you working hard. And I know that you've mentioned in like previous mm. episodes that you worry and about like because you try to be so present with them that they might not realize how much work you're doing in the background. So there is some sort of like, you know, I think it's good for them to know that you are, you know, a, a mom that also happens to run this great company and do great work. And that that can have really positive effects, too. So it might not only be a bad thing. Well, I'm trying, I mean, having the neighbor come for the notary stamp this morning was yeah. interesting because suddenly my Such son has power. seen like hard evidence of what I do, which involves a mysterious stamp. <laughs> right. So, what? Um, swear, making somebody swear to something? Who is yeah, my mom? Suddenly, suddenly the neighbor. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, maybe don't ask your kid what your superpowers are. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's. So, anyway. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Great stuff. Well, thank you for this. We will. Uh, We'll be back next week. We will. Okay, we'll talk soon. Okay, talk soon. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.